welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. You're going to listen as we get into Luke chapter 15. You can look in your Bible, you can look in your apps, but, but it says in Luke chapter 15, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Now, what's fascinating is the old King James and the RSV says that tax collectors and the sinners were drawing near to Jesus, right? So we got one group, the tax collector and sinners. Any question about how society felt about tax collectors? Because that hasn't changed in 4,000 years, right? Any, Any change about who the sinners were, right? Designated, oh, you're sinners, you're unclean, you're unrighteous. So we got this group over here that's unclean. Now we got another group that shows up. Verse 2 says, The Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. The fact that you would break bread with someone who was unclean was the ultimate thing that would make you unclean. Here's the good news of the gospel before you ever stand. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. Jesus welcomes everybody at his table. And he breaks bread, breaks bread with anybody, anybody. So my friends, there's two trajectories and two groups. I'm not going to ask you a question at the end. I'm going to ask you a question at the beginning as you hear this text today. Which group are you in? Which group are you in? With respect to the gospel, we're going to read all seven verses now. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. And then Jesus told this parable. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. As you're seated, be seated. God, um, open our hearts and minds to the movement of your Holy Spirit that we would hear with joy the way that you confirm the things that we know about the goodness of your grace, that we would receive openly the ways in which you want to confront our comfort levels and our commitments, and that we together would live faithfully from the waters of our baptism when we depart this place. For it is in the name of Christ that we pray, and all of God's people did say, Amen. Amen. So the ending part of that text is really kind of fascinating. Jesus is looking over and he talks about the rejoicing that happens in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. This is a parable of teaching and I would suggest to you that the nuance in this last closing sentence is not a declaratory statement that nobody needs to repent because that would be totally contrary to the gospel message. But do you see this group of people that are self-righteous, 
that think they've got it all together, who are literally rehearsing the misaligned message of the religious community across the face of this earth that says, you need to get your blank together and then come to God. You need to get your life together, life figured out, and then come to God. Don't bother God with all of the junk that you've messed up. And this group of Pharisees are the ones who basically say, we got it all together. And I just sort of see Jesus as a sarcastic tone. There's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. And then do you sort of maybe see him kind of in a challenging way drifting over to the Pharisees and saying, then all the 99 that don't need to repent? It's kind of like, um, and, and I'll ask if I can stay at somebody's house because I didn't ask permission for my wife to say this. Um, but no, seriously, we, no, not seriously, I need the house. I mean, she'll be fine with it. Um, there are times when we communicate and I can tell clearly the tone of the question, how I need to answer it, right? It's things like, um, who left this on the counter? Now I could go logical and say, well, there's two of us in the house right now. We're empty nesters. And if you didn't do it, I guess I know who did because the dog can't do that, right? <laughs> But we have playful communication, but the, the nuance of how things are said, or like yesterday, and I'll confess, we had some funeral services yesterday at church, and people tend to leave the flowers, but we can't do anything with the flowers. We had it on Friday, we had two on Friday, we had Saturday. So I said, well, they want to, you do whatever you want to do with the church. Well, we can't line them up on the Welcome Center, because then you can't see the people behind the Welcome Center. So I just took the flowers and made my own little beautiful rose arrangement and trotted my happy, proud self home with a vase full of white roses for my wife yesterday. And now all the women would say, oh, <laughs> until uh, Sean said, oh, you brought me some used funeral roses, I see. <laughs> How that communication goes, right? It's playful. There's a nuance that happens here. There's a nuance. But there's something really clear that we need to hear that's been there the whole time. Which group are you in? Are you with the tax collectors and the sinners? People who've been told they're not acceptable and it's Jesus who's there. And what, do you notice the difference? The, te the, the, the tax collectors and the sinners in the text, read it. They're the ones that want to listen to Jesus. They want to hear him. Verse 2. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were all muttering and they lived in the criticism zone. And they said, who is this guy that eats with sinners and breaks bread with them? Two totally different trajectories. Now, I would suggest to you in our lives, there's a part of us that has got the tax collector and the sinner piece down. And there's a part of us that has mastered the art of the pharisaical approach. And the reality is how to move away from only being critical of everything else and being open to listening to Jesus. And we need to move to that place that we would want to hear what Jesus says. What's the parable about? The parable is about a sheep, a sheep that wanders off, a sheep that has lost its way. Now, we're not told in the parable what happened, that there was an argument with the sheep at the house or they had grown apart or there was some difficulty. Or All we know is the sheep wandered. And the point is, the sheep is wandered and is lost. And this parable, going from 
99 that are safe and one that is lost, to next week when we look at 10 coins that the woman has and one is lost, to moving down to two sons and one is lost, you never lose the individual component recognizing that the emphasis about your relationship to God is not whether or not you found God, but whether or not you let yourself be found by Christ. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. It's the shepherd who seeks the lost sheep. It's not the sheep who seeks the shepherd. There's something about our human nature that when we get lost, we can tend to wander. And it's important to know that the biblical characteristic that we see in who Jesus is is that he never stops looking for us, and that is grace. God never stops looking for us. Now, church, some of the things that we confuse with ourselves is we think at times, and we don't think we actively do this. It's not like we wake up and say, I need my donut, my cup of coffee. Now I'm going to go practice my faith at the church. But if we're not careful, we think about church as the place we come to practice our faith. But that's not what the church is for. The church is the gathered group of believers to be infused by the Holy Spirit, and really our faith should be practiced outside of this place. It should be carried out in the world. Literally what we do on Sunday mornings should be a pep rally. We should be excited and we should come back and we should be rejoicing over what God has been doing and who has been found. Leander Keck wrote in 1981 in a book called The Once and Future Church, the church must overcome what it has mastered, namely the art of talking to itself. Right? We, need to, we need to encourage each other to move outside those comfort zones, to go where God leads. And we need to recognize that the heartbeat of the gospel and God's heartbeat is the rejoicing that happens when he finds what's lost. And you see, when the shepherd who is Christ finds what's lost, what does he do with the sheep? Does he lecture it? My gosh, sheep, told you not to wander off. Haven't you read the 23rd Psalm? I make you lie down in green pastures. I lead you beside the still waters. What does he do? What's in the text? Come on, be good Bible studies. What does he do? Where does he put the sheep? He puts it on his shoulders. He bears the weight of the sheep. We do not know why. Maybe it's because he knows if he doesn't carry the sheep, it's going to wander off again, and that's some of us. Sometimes we say, Jesus, would you just grab him by the neck and put him on your shoulder and take him on inside and put him in timeout spiritually for a little bit? Or is it the woundedness of the sheep that it can't? Is it, is it wandered so long it's broken? Is it exhausted? We don't know. But here's what we know about the shepherd. The characteristic biblically is Jesus will put you on his shoulders when he finds you. But you've got to be willing to let yourself be found. Because you see, you can't hide from God. And ultimately what this is really about is about a personal response and individual relationship with Christ. Because going to church doesn't make us a Christian any more than going to Whataburger transforms us into a hamburger. I'm a third generation United Methodist pastor. My granddad was a preacher. My dad was a preacher. I'm a preacher. 
Jeremy is second or third? You're second generation. So we know what it's like to live in the church, but we also know the difference when church becomes the hunger of our heart because it's the gathered group of believers and it's the only place we'd want to be with people who could sing together at the top of their lungs, oh, the overwhelming, everlasting love of God who leaves the 99 and finds the one and a group of people that would come together enjoying God's search for who's not here, not because they need to be in church, but because we, the ones who are a part of the community of faith, know the love of God, are going out into the world. There's nothing more exciting. And I, I kind of tease, and I'm going to confess, I, um, I said to Mel Cheers, she said, you know, we're short on-site volunteers. You know, I said, oh, yeah, well, let me know, know how that goes. And um, by the next night, Jody Felder was saying, hey, Mel said you're going. You're going to be a team leader. That's awesome. Can we send you this stuff? And I just simply said, can someone here get the name of that truck that just ran over me? But the reality is I'm absolutely excited about going because one of the things I miss the most in ministry is I have been in the last several appointments in larger churches. Do you know what I don't get to do much? I don't get to go spend time with five to six kids on a work site. I don't get that opportunity to know the extraordinary joy that I go back to in the beginning of my ministry that I love so much when a kid is so afraid to even pray and you can see they're scared to death and they've got their head down when you ask who wants to pray and you can talk to them about it. And then you open up a doorway to what they feel about their own self-worth and you can point into some scriptures because you know them and then by the end of the week, they're the ones that are praying with a client. My friends, that's what it is all about. It's all about this week meeting our children at VBS planning the gospel in their hearts, helping them know the faith in a way that when they move to UMRB, they know how to live the faith, that when they move into the world, they will know without a doubt what it is to have a personal relationship to Christ and to let themselves be found by God. Early, when I was uh, with you three years ago, I told the story, so some of you have heard it before, but uh, I just want to say it again. That is, um, when we started a church in Allen, Texas, uh, we were appointed. They bought this beautiful house. It became church, literally, because there was no other place to meet for three years. And um, we didn't know if we were going to be able to get the school because we didn't have land. I was doing my doctorate work. I mean, I was, I was educated, motivated, ready to go and couldn't do anything. And I couldn't afford to play golf anywhere in the summer. So it's a really bad place to put a Methodist preacher and I was studying, and I was doing my doctorate on evangelism. And so a knock came at the door one day, and this was this beautiful two-story house. When you open the door, it's this tile floor that spills out. The formal dining room is here. And then over to the left, it goes all the way up the second story. The stairwell goes up. It's this beautiful entryway. Comes a knock on the door. I open the door. I see a couple adults kind of back. There's a boy sitting there. And he says, hi, we're from such and such a church, and we were wondering if you found Jesus. He didn't know whose door he knocked on. And so I just turned around. Hey, Sean, you seen Jesus? This kid lost him. I turned back around. The kid was going. The adults were like going out to the curb. I mean, they were, they were oh man, I don't know what we got a hold of here. He said, you know, I... Let me encourage you. Yes, I know who Jesus is, but not because I found him, but because he's found me. And let me encourage you, the next door you knock on, to think about saying, 
have you let yourself be found by Jesus? But yes, I've been found by the one before whom every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, the Lord of Lord, the King of Kings. And he just started backing up. <laughs> have you? Have you let yourself been found? Have you let yourself really been found by Jesus? It looks different than just participating. And it doesn't have to be something dramatic, but it does need to be something intentional. That you say, God, today, I'm going to let you find me. I'm going to let you find all of me. Because maybe he's found your Sunday person that you got going on, because you know when Sunday rolls around, you're in church. But has he found your Monday person? Has he found your Thursday? Has he found your hump day, Wednesday person? Has he found all of who you are? And have you responded and let yourself be found? Because when that happens, there's rejoicing. Shepherd gets back. He's found the sheep. Didn't lecture it, brought it back. Everything's restored. And then what happens? There's a party. There's rejoicing. I long for the day that we will be able to touch again not only our heritage and the Wesleyan spirit of the movement of God that brings people to a relationship with Christ, but a church that just is relentless about sharing what God has done in their lives so that people will know who Christ is and the hope that Christ alone can provide. Because even one person who comes back and it's an all-out party in heaven. May God make that true for you and me. And may each of you know wherever you are, no matter how long you've been coming to church, I pray you're here because it's what you want to do. It's the only place you'd want to be. Maybe you're watching online and looking at this. I'd hope that you're connected to a community of faith that helps you get found fully by Christ. I'm going to ask our band to come up and get ready. They receive communion after the early service, so don't worry about them being left out. But uh, as they're coming, I want to have a word of prayer for us to prepare our hearts for communion. Let's pray together. God, so we're, we're grateful for the witness of your scripture. We're so grateful for the people who have poured into our lives that helped us to let ourselves be found by you. What we ask is that you would pour your blessing upon these elements of the bread and the cup. God, we know it's just ordinary bread. We know it's just ordinary grape juice. But for us as people of faith, by the presence of you, Holy Spirit, would you make it become the body and the blood of Christ, that we might be the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. And in receiving the bread of life and the cup of forgiveness, we'd let ourselves be found by you, renew our restoration in faith. And God, you would help us to hunger to share the good news of Christ with all when we leave this place. God, we love you, and we thank you that your love is a reckless love, a relentless love, a never-ending, everlasting love for us. Help us have that hunger for all in the world around us. For this we pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all of God's people did say, Amen.